special edition of the Dead Pit Revival Horror Talk Podcast. We need to come up with something that we're, we definitely call this damn thing. FTR. FTR. Yeah. Fear the Revival. <laughs> yes. Um, so Creepy Kentuckian is here and I've got uh, my good friend Captain uh, B Plan. Captain B. <laughs> You've got a new nickname now, Steve. The Captain. So, October is already upon us, and we have uh, already just dive right into the horror goodness, you know. Um, I don't know what exact day this show is going to come out on. I may just, it may just come out on the third. Uh, that's Saturday. We normally bring it out on Friday. But uh, we had a really fun show last week. Uh, it's a live stream of the Sequelitis Returns, which featured Jaws the Revenge, the 1987 epic Michael Caine uh, killer shark movie, and uh, Rob Zombie's Three from Hell. And this was that was you know we'll talk about it a little bit more in the next segment, but that was a movie straight from hell, Steve. Yeah, <laughs> straight from Dark Sky. You, uh, which is weird. We we did our video a couple of weeks ago. You you'd found the steel book that included that, uh, right? The three from hell. So you was all excited about that. Well, I like the steel book. I. Uh, uh, Three from Hell will probably not get any viewing because it'll take a long time for me to get that taste out of my mouth. <laughs> yeah. Well, we'll talk about... Uh, we've got our show with Uncle Bill and uh, myself talking about the movies. Maybe after we play that segment, we'll get your thoughts on both of those movies real quick as well, too. So, But yeah, there's a lot of stuff going on. Um, we actually are going to uh, cover a brand new movie that uh, Andre Gower from the Monster Squad has worked on for the past couple of years. I think it was actually finished over a year ago, but it's just now coming out, and we got a preview screener, Steve. You feel special that you got to see that before it's out? Wolfman's got no hearts. Yes, I was very uh, honored that I got a, uh, a link. Yeah. And it was a good, uh, you know, a de- decently well-made movie, I got a link in the past for something that was, it was not very good. Was it Legend of Zelda? <laughs> no. I swear to God, that I was, I was what like, was. what the fuck's he talking about Zelda for? <laughs> it was a special yeah. link to the past. Oh, wow. That's deep. Yeah, I know. So, um, but yeah, we were talking before the, uh, before we started rolling 
rolling, 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 like the American badass Undertaker. Right. Um, a lot of shit is coming out this holiday, this Halloween holiday season. Uh, this past Tuesday, the fine folks at Best Buy taking more of her money um, with the still books of the still book 4Ks of Halloween and uh, the Evil Dead 1 and 2 in a two pack. So those have just come out. And I think they're highly sought after already. Like the, uh, I think they're all sold out. Yeah. I mean, the, 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 you could do the pre-order for up until probably a couple of weeks ago, but right. it, you know, they're no longer online or anything like that. I'm not sure what the harder one to find is. I'm crazy about the Halloween franchise. So I pre-ordered that. I already have the other two, um, Halloween or the evil dead movies. So I, you know, I know that uh, you and Dana are more fans of those. I, li- I like the movies too, but I'm just not a hardcore collector when it comes to that sort of thing. Well, the still books for those two are, they actually come with a protective uh, sleeve and it's got, you know, ad- additional artwork on the sleeve. So when you remove it, you know, you get, you basically just get like the, just the, uh, uh, no titles on the, on the still book cover. It's just all art. And especially uh, with the uh, the Halloween one looks really good with the uh, artwork, and then on the back is Jamie Lee Curtis. Yeah, I thought it'd be really cool to do. Um, of course, you don't really see a whole lot of that anymore. But you could have done like a a book of the dead steel book. That would have people would have went fucking mm-hmm. nuts for that. But you would had it would have had to have been a different design. I mean, and I couldn't. That's probably a little bit too much effort for them to put forth to do that, but. You know, it's a steel book. It could have been the book, the steel book of the dead or something like that. That would have, I, think I mean, even if you just well. made it with the artwork of the book of the dead and it's just a plain steel book, maybe a matte finish. I mean, that, that would, and then uh, maybe put something like that cover like they have on these two with, you know, with uh, either additional little accent pieces or, or the, the, I mean, that could have worked, but you know, I mean, it's kind of strange that you know they're releasing uh, uh, releasing uh, these two, and then Screen Factory's putting out Army of Darkness soon. Right the um, the 4K of Army of Darkness, they just announced they're working on that. So I don't know if that came directly from Screen Factory or one of the producers behind that. So Screen Factory, though, we talked about that a little bit on the show last week as well kind of odd choices for the first two 4k announcements on those just because like visually army of darkness i can't see that looking that great in 4k i, I mean maybe it's just me and the same thing with they live i mean it's visually those movies aren't really you know ones that you would think of that would benefit from the you know the 4k transfers but yeah, I mean, what do you think of the uh, the first two four Ks from Scream Factory? I'm sorry. What what were they again? <laughs> the um, they live. Oh, John, 
Yeah, the, oh, the yeah. Carpenter movie, They Live, and Army of... Of course, I don't know when Army of Darkness is coming out, but those are the only two that we know right now. Right. I mean, uh... Hmm. I mean, uh, some people consider They Live a, an A-list title. Uh, I'm not... I mean, it. I'm pretty satisfied with the Blu-ray, so I'm not definitely not upgrading that. It's just like when Blue Underground was coming out with some... They released these newly special Blu-rays, which really looked awesome. And then a few months later, or maybe maybe a little, maybe almost a year later, they—I don't think it was a year later—but they were releasing the uh, actual 4Ks of those titles, like New York Ripper and mm-hmm. was it House by the Cemetery? Which I definitely I'm not interested in spending forty dollars on getting that. So yeah, there's there's some weird. Yeah, weird I, titles, but you know, I don't know. Maybe that's just something they had. They had the, the those tra- the, the new 4K scan or something, and they thought that would be a well. From what I understand, all of money. the all the steel books that they've released, they have 4K scans for pretty much all those. Right, even like the fog and all that um, stuff. So yeah, and the fog and Prince of Darkness. There's probably a couple more. I have more. the 4K. Uh, Prince of Darkness from the UK. Yeah, so that's what I was saying. Those are already out uh, over in England uh, and a couple other countries. So, I mean, to me, it's kind of underwhelming. Like, I, those aren't must-buys for me, either one of those. Um, Army right. of Darkness is my least favorite of those Evil Dead, you know, the Evil Dead trilogy. Easily, it's my least favorite. Um so, well, it's really not a horror movie. It's more like a crazy comedy adventure kind of film. Yeah, and really, so. I, I don't think visually it's going to really be that impressive on 4K. I mean, if anything, it's going to make it look, you're going yeah. to see it, see how cheap that movie was actually made. A so. lot of those things with, uh, uh, you know, when they get the, that one skeleton on the catapult, that, uh, that 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 looks bad on all everything you see. So I can't imagine they. That it's going to be probably one of those uh, 4Ks where it has some really sharp scenes and then followed by a few very grainy scenes. So um, there was Code Red actually made a couple of announcements as well. I guess re-releases because these were already out before, but they went out of print pretty quickly. Um, just before dawn. Uh, yeah, that one is coming back out now. I had the original Blu-ray of that. I don't know if it's the same transfer or what. This one looked exactly like a DVD, uh, the one that I had. Yeah. So I don't know if this is if they've remastered it anymore or whatever. Um, I mean, they said it says on the press release that it's been painstakingly restored from the original thirty-five millimeter inner negative. Um, so we will see. That's probably, I love that movie and everything. That's one of my favorites, but, Mm. um, as far as the eighties, you know, the early eighties slasher movies, it's a, I enjoy it at least. Um, but I'm waiting on the review for that. Uh, I, I want to make sure the transfer is better than the old, the shriek show DVD that I still have. Yeah. Well, Bill, Bill Olson's kind of like, I don't know. He's they got videos online. He's like in the, some apartment somewhere, and his legs got big ass wounds on him. 
and that Falco guy was in there, you know, going, what's up, Banana Man? And it's ridiculous. I don't know. I don't know what's going on yeah. with Bill Olsen. With Dark, Dark, you know, the director of Chaos. Uh, oh, David runs De- Dark Force. In it. Yeah, David da- yeah. Dakota. What? What's his name? David Dakota. Dakatio. Maybe. I don't know. I don't know, I don't know but he's a, I'm from Eastern he, Kentucky. Don't ask me how to pronounce anything. He thinks he, he look, thinks he's a pro wrestler or something. The way he comes off on his videos, but um, they also announced uh, they're re-releasing the Savage Streets on blu-ray that's one that i'd bought multiple copies of and sold i no longer have that on on blu-ray and i think the transfer on that was pretty good if i'm not mistaken yeah i have one of the blu-rays but not like the second blu-ray it's like there's so many generations of those blu-rays right um arrow video well they were kind of hopping up a big announcement that they had made last week as well and i think it's I'm let down by it at least, and that would be like they're doing uh, they're doing a new uh, Blu-ray 4K of uh, Tremors. Is that right? Yeah. I'm not a. I mean, I I never really want to watch that movie again. I don't know why, but uh, I saw it in the theater. I mean, it's okay, but yeah, that's not one that I'm not since. Yeah, I mean, I don't. And they're still making new fucking Tremors movies too. Like I was just looking on here, uh, the newest yeah. one is called Shrieker Island, and fucking oh, Michael Gross from uh, Family Ties. How old is that son of a bitch? By the way, he's got to be in his seventies. He's got to be in his late seventies at this point. Family Ties came out in the seventies, man. That came out in like the no, like, it came out. It came out in like uh, 80, 82, 81. I think it was the late seventies, early eighties. I'm gonna look that up. Yeah, it's eighties. I think eighty two is when it started. Well, it it had to be the very early eighties. But think about it like this: if he was, let's say 30. he was forty then when that started. Well, that's because he was not thirty. He'd be, he was he'd be in his eighties. Yeah, I want to look it up. I want to see how old Michael Gross he is because he's made a he's had a career out of doing them damn tremors. Yeah. <laughs> Let's see. They here. could get Reba back. They probably could get Reba back. I don't know. Have you seen Reba? I ain't seen Reba in a long time. Reba is still pretty damn good looking, man. Well, okay. For some reason, uh, it says here on IMDb. That Michael Gross is just 73 years old. Yep. He's he's just a year older than my mom. How is that possible, Steve? Yeah. So, 82 to 89, I told you. So, in 82, he would have been, what, 35? Is that accurate yep. math? That's yep. wild. That is odd. He's definitely playing older than he was. Yeah, yeah, you because the the Michael J. Fox and uh, Justine Bateman they were what teen they were at least teenagers at that point. So I, I guess it's possible you could have had had a kid at twenty years old or something. <laughs> were they twins in that show? Supposed to be twin brothers and sisters twins? or whatever. I don't remember. They're around the same age though. 
Why are we talking about family ties for on here? I don't know. But the Michael the, Gross. Yeah. The uh also John Hader, aka Napoleon Dynamite's in the new Tremors movie too, so can be excited about there you that. Go. Yeah. Oh um, for Pedro. Also though, real quick here, and we'll get to we'll take a break and get to the uh sequelitis. We have got news on some, uh, the big, I guess, the major announcement from Vinegar Syndrome, the collectors of all of our money. The Beastmaster is finally coming back out, but oh no, it's not just coming back out on, on Blu-ray. It's coming out in 4K Ultra HD. They've got it up for pre-order right, right now. On, yeah. Vinegar Syndrome Ultra. Vinegar Syndrome Ultra, VSU. It's it's giving birth to a whole new label. <laughs> money, money, ah. money, money, money. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, yeah, you can pre-order that right now on uh, vinegarsyndrome.com. It is $39.99 right now. Um, mm. And they also had announced that they're doing uh, Fade to Black, which is one that we had, we had talked about with Slippy. Um Back when we talked, it was over a month ago, we talked with him. That was one that Anchor Bay had released, and nobody had, I don't know, there was a rights issue with it or something like that. And, um, yeah, so that was another one on the list. There's a couple of more, a couple more of them that are for November that they haven't announced yet. But they did like a, some sort of pre-sale Black Friday deal or something where you can get both of those, even though you don't know what in the hell it is. For right, well, one of them has been kind of uh hinted at it was a 3D movie and it was uh Silent Madness, which is a favorite of Dana's. Well, Dana will have to get that then, yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, these (laughs) the Vinegar Syndrome, though, I gotta gotta give them credit. You know, when we did our hiatus there from Dead Pit for a while. They were kind of lost in a shuffle with a lot of boutique companies. But the way that they're doing things now, which each month they have a package, um, and you can all their shit's limited, the limited slip cover you can only get from vinegarsyndrome.com. Um, and they've got like a yearly subscription thing too, which is probably some ungodly amount of money. I don't know. Oh, yeah. It's like somebody say like $700, $800. But, you know, unless you're just a crazy hardcore collector of this shit, if you were to get that, I guarantee yeah. you, you could probably double your money selling it back on eBay. Because <laughs> the collecting market in this sort of thing is crazy, man. Like, just rad by itself goes for like 200 bucks. So, I don't know. Yeah, it's there is definitely a cult out there who who loves slipcases and well, all this other stuff that I, I I like it too. But you know, when you get older, you just some of this shit you just like. I got I can't get that, and yeah. I could damn well tell you that rad ain't worth fifty dollars or it's not worth freaking two hundred. I can tell you that for sure. Let me throw something out there too. Right now, and I'm gonna lay it on the line right here on the it'll wow. be, I guess the October third. Pay 3rd. attention, every- It's a special Saturday yeah, edition. Be quiet, listen. 
of Dead Pit. They do a big Black Friday sale every year, don't they, Steve? Uh, they're one of those, yes. Yeah, they do some sort of big special sale. Here's how it's going to go. For that day only, <laughs> I'm going to throw it out there right now. They're going to have more copies of Rad in 4K for that day. So all you dumbasses out there <laughs> that are fucking spending $200, $250, I'm going to laugh the fuck all the way to the bank because if that happens, I'm buying four or five copies of them damn things. That's a bold statement. And uh, I'm pretty sure they're going to do something like that. Because a lot of the times, if I'm not mistaken, that they do those crazy sales every year around uh, you know Black Friday or whatever it is. So yeah, well they do halfway to Black Friday, and then they do fr- uh, Black Friday. Them and Severin both do stuff like that. Yeah, uh, Severin had a big issue with their last big sale they had, or something in there. You never did get your yeah. stuff, did you? Yeah, and I. I never got to order it. I sent an email in like everybody else, and my shit just got ignored. And I was like, well, fuck it. Those unprofessional and, uh, motherfuckers. That's all right. Yeah. I bought one of the movies that I was going to get, but I, I haven't got that Fulci is for Fulci for fake. I haven't gotten that movie. Well, that's kind of like I a, might get a, a biopic or something, isn't it? Well, it's kind of a a take on a biopic. It's basically an actor preparing to play Fulci. So he's talking to different relatives and friends of Fulci. So it's kind of like a, a little take on a biopic. Ooh, little, That's little better angle. Yeah. A little, a little Fulci action, baby. I haven't heard too many good things about that though. I gotta be honest. I, I mean, I haven't heard a whole lot one way or the other so it's like well it's i'll see it when i see it it's never a good sign if you just don't hear anything about i mean i've seen the artwork and i've seen them hawk it and stuff like that but i haven't heard a review of it actually yeah i mean it was on uh alamo uh had something they were written it for three dollars i kind of wish i had just rented it then and seen what the hell it was about yeah but i'll see it i'll see it later on or something yeah man so, um, yeah. we will, I guess we're going to cut to the sequelitis portion and, uh, we will be back with you guys. We've got a really cool review coming up of the new documentary on the making and the production and the cult of the monster squad. It's called Wolfman's Got Nards. So that's going to be fun. Mm. But uh, we're going to take a quick break, and we're going to get to the special Sequelitis Returns featuring Jaws the Revenge and Three from Hell here on DeadPit.com. You know what, Uncle Bill? Shut your fucking mouth right now. No. I want to talk about fast custom shirts. Holy shit. Well, let's talk about it. Fastcustomshirts.com provides some of the best horror t-shirts I have ever fucking seen. I don't think that you can really fully appreciate how awesome the t-shirts are over at fastcustomshirts.com until you go over to fastcustomshirts.com and look for yourself. Yeah. The Hitman T-Shirt Joe. 
the highest quality of shirts that I've actually designed some of them, Uncle Bill. He actually lets the fans design some of the shirts for his site. Who else does that? Who else? Nobody I know of. But when he's not busy playing with uh, Carmen Opposite, he's busy cranking out some of the most high quality fucking shirts that you're going to find this side of any other damn whore t-shirt maker. Yeah. So check him out. FastCustomShirts.com. The best there is. The best there was. And the best there ever will be. It's a boot respect. So, anyway, the reason we're here tonight, though, is sequelitis, Uncle Bill. Sequelitis. Where we, it's a battle. It's like Macho Man and Hulk Hogan, circa 1989. The, the mega powers explode. In this case, it's, it's mega shit movie number one and mega shit movie number two. <laughs> Boom. They explode. They collide. On this, uh, it's like the, ele- the electricity, when it gets too close together, the atoms... Right. Of shit just explode all over your face. It's like it's like one one hand of shit is coming in slow to meet the other hand of shit. Exactly. Only rest it's like it's hard to believe that, that that much shit can exist in the same space, but it can. So which one do you want to do first and who do you want like to set it up? Because they're both equally actually I don't I won't even say that. I think I would rather watch Jaws for like five times. Yeah, I, yeah, I, that's why I think we then, can kind of start with Jaws 4, The Revenge. The Revenge of Jaws. This time it's personal. So let's start that as a concept of this movie. Because I think somewhere along the way, something happened. And the producer said, you know who the star of this movie really is, right? Is the shark. So, of course, like he should, people should root for the shark as almost like a serial killer because there's no other way to describe the plot, if you want to call it a plot, that happens in this. No, I yeah. mean, we'll, we'll, we'll try. Of course, this is the Jaws 3 had come out, what this came out in 87. So, Jaws 3 had Dennis Quaid in it, and he was playing one of, yes. the, one of the brothers in it. That movie's not very good either. That, I mean, that could probably, you no. could probably almost put that up here with, with, with Jaws the Revenge. But it had a gimmick, which was the 3D at least. Yeah, yeah, it's 3D. There's a lot of stuff coming out. I think it was like early, like 80, maybe 82, 83 is when Jaws. Jaws 3 came out. I think it was 83, yeah. 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 So that was the same time they were doing like Friday the 13th 3D and Amityville 3D and and you know that was that was that time frame at least that red and red and blue 3D bullshit. But anyway, Jaws 4 comes out in 87. The only person they could get back in the movie was was the mother who was played by Lorraine Gary, 
that was I think they had tried to get Roy Schreider back and he just wouldn't do it. <laughs> he was like, No, I'm good. Well, so if if you remember, like he's not in the movie, which is like the worst one of those like exposition scenes where like they're in the sheriff's office and his son is now like a sheriff or deputy sheriff, something like that. And there's a big picture of him like hanging up on the wall. And it's kind of like, uh, you know, don't forget that he was in this, like, you know? Yeah. And then they're talking about out of a heart attack from fear of the shark. Right. Now, if you if you remember, he killed the shark twice in two separate movies. He blew it up, but for some reason he was so terrified, like you know, he just the had idea of the shark that he died of a heart attack. Offspring, the son of Jaws. Yeah, the daughter of Jaws. And the funny, but the that's funny, not the fifteenth. That's not even the fifteenth like least logical thing that happens in this movie. No. I mean, the odd thing about this is, though, when I watch this on Vudu, which I've, I've got the... It's actually coming out on Blu-ray, I think, finally. But the transfer on this was actually really, really good. Like, the this movie had to have a pretty decent budget. So, it looked like a professional, like a universal movie. But you've got just hokey bullshit like the younger brother, who's the sheriff or whatever, he lasts probably, what, five minutes, ten minutes in the movie. And he's like, he's yeah. just sta standing outside on a dock or something like that. And the the shark just yeah. flies out of the damn water and rips his arm off. Right. <laughs> yeah, so, like, he basically got the same job as his dad did, as Roy Schreiter did in the, in the first two movies. So I think it's like he's out trying to clear up something like brush or something like that. And he's on a little, and then out of nowhere, you know, Jaws comes out and bites his arm off. And then somehow or another, like gets up on the boat. Yeah. I think it's like, you know, the ocean, I guess. He falls in the boat and the, uh, what is he just, I guess the shark just bites through the boat or something and kills him that way. I don't know. I can't, he, he dies. He's killed by death. But this, yeah, but this is where the, this movie begins because this, his mom played by Lorraine Gray, whatever her name is. Yeah. Uh, Decides at that minute, this is personal, and that the shark intentionally came after this of the movie. Well, the um, so they're still up in like Maine or where Amity or no, it's not. It's Amity, Amity, New York. That's where it's at, New York. So they come up there for the for the younger brother's funeral. This happens in New York now, okay. This initial shark attack is in New York. Yes. The brother played by Lance Gaston. Remember Gaston. that because it's important. 
Yeah, Lance Gass got an amazing perm in this movie, too. Got to go on about his perm because it's just nice and fluffy and curly and, and everything else. He's really moved up since Halloween, too, come out. So his family, his wife, daughter, him are up there. And he's like a marine biologist in Florida. And he's up visiting so uh, he can see his He'll see his mother and go to his brother's funeral and all that. So they convince Lorraine Gary's character to just, you know, come down with him and chill out a little while and relax in the in the uh, Bahamas, wherever they're at in Florida. And uh, she reluctantly is like, you know, I do need a vacation. Let's go. So they have one hell of a pilot going down there, Uncle Bill. Can you believe this shit? Michael Caine was the Michael damn pilot. Yeah. <laughs> so the the thing about um, hit like and he sticks out like a sore thumb because like Michael Caine's in Jaws four. So evidently the thing is around that time period, he was just doing whatever because he was wanting to buy like this this gigantic house. So he was doing like whatever anybody would want for like. Three days for like $150,000 or something like that. So, and I think there's a quote from Michael Caine where he's like, yeah, I never saw the movie, but I saw the big house that it, it you know, bought for me. So, but anyway, they're, they go down to Florida. Yeah, I think. I, yeah. At that point in the movie. And this is the this is the sticking point of the movie to me. This is the best part of this movie, by far. Because they go down, like you were getting to say, to the Bahamas from New York. And they're on vacation. And guess what happens? How this happens? I don't know if... But the shark, I don't know if he was like hitched to the back of the plane. If he had a jetpack on his ass, no. I don't know how a shark emits all the way that. But yeah, he follows him. Same shark. Well, I mean, they have a little brief montage of the shark swimming. So the the shark is just a really fast swimmer. <laughs> I'm not shooting you. There is actually a shot of just the shark swimming to, towards, you know, he's, he's following them. He can sniff them out. So, 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 yeah, the shark shows up down in the Bahamas. And here's the really weird, here's even the weirder part, right? He shows up down there, presumably, to kill the, you know, relatives of Roy Scheider for some reason. And yeah, even though the, he's like a the shark and all the other Jaws movies are de is dead. So I don't know if this one is like the original Jaws, like great grandson or what. Right. But he's on like a, you know, Harry Carey mission to fucking kill all these people. But when he gets down there, like to do this, there's there's one scene where he tries to kill the son and messes it up. And then, for some reason, he's just like, I'll oh, screw this shit. 
and he just like attacks a banana boat full of kids. Like, I mean, if he is on like a death grudge mission, like he's horrible at it because he doesn't even like, yeah, he's so not attacking any of the right people. Also, like you come across when they're down in Florida, like I said, uh, uh, Lance Gast with the Pern. Um, he's a marine biologist, and he's working with Bob Charlie, who uh, is played by Mario Van Peebles. Ooh, 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 ooh. Um, and they're studying. Are they studying uh, snails or some sort of bullshit like that? Or something? yeah, that's, snails. <laughs> what? I don't know what it is. Um. It is though, but that's like why out of all the shit, big fat. The world needs more snail inspectors, evidently, in the, in the ocean. Yeah. So they uh, have the the they see the shark and are kind of attacked by the shark. They see it; it's gigantic, and great white sharks are never in Florida usually. So Lance guessed, you know, his brother just got eaten by a damn shark. The mother is like, I really don't want you to go in the water anymore. Don't go in the water anymore, you know. Not only does he not tell his mother about this, but he continue, they continue to want to study the damn shark. <laughs> yeah, so, I mean, keep this in mind. At some point in the movie, like, he doesn't believe his mother in the beginning of her saying that, like, this shark is, you know, trying to, to kill everybody in the family. But then he almost gets killed by the shark, recognizes that it's the same shark, and then continues to want to place some sort of like beacon device on this shark. So, and you got Mario Van Peebles running around with like the worst Jamaican accent that has ever existed, where he's literally like, shit, man, I can't believe you had me come to the beach. Lord of mercy. It's like shit like that. Ooh. Ooh. <laughs> it's like so, oh. so but then that's and then they get in a boat and like a little submarine thing and are following the shark trying to it's like what the fuck like you almost got eaten like 10 minutes ago right well that's not even the best part though the best part's I, coming i mean there's all kinds of great shit with this uh, to be honest with you, I know we're in kind of middle talking about it. This is an enjoyable shitty movie, though. It's like so bad it that it's actually like fun to watch. And then the other movie's not like that. We'll talk about it in a minute. And I want to say, I want to say something because, like, this this terrified me when I was a kid and I saw this movie. This movie has one scene in it and only one scene that is like one of the most terrifying things ever in any horror film. It's like one of those movies, like a horrible movie with one awesome scene and that is like she's having a dream that she's in a swimming pool and she like looks to one end of the swimming pool and it's like the ocean looks to the other end and it's the ocean and then like you see the jaws thing where it's like underneath her and it comes up and grabs her like scared the shit out of me i would not go into swimming pools oh yeah thinking like you know that that's the only young kids watching stuff like this because, you know, sharks are real. Um, maybe there's probably not too many this size, but um, there's one scene, too, where I guess it's Lance Gas with the perms 
character is going scuba diving and it's like a shark chase scene and the shark there's like a shipwreck or something in there and the shark just goes up follows <laughs> him up inside the ship and the shark in this too like i'm guessing they just used a big puppet or i don't know what it is but the entire time the shark is like <laughs> yeah. Like it, it never closes its mouth. You know, it's like oh, oh, oh. it's it's like a cat, man. It's try, it's a cat like try you know how they do that to try to like sniff out things. That's the that's how he tracks the Brody family members by leaving his mouth yeah. open. So you know, there's there's a damn chase sequence with with Michael and the shark. Um, and you know, he kind of becomes paranoid and anxious. He still doesn't want to tell his mom and all this. Um, but then the shark attacks his daughter, Lorraine Gary. What's her name? Is her name Ethel? I need to get her name. <laughs> Ethel? I think her name is, uh, Ellen, Ellen. Ellen Brody. <laughs> yeah. Ethel Brody. Ethel. If it was in Eastern Kentucky, it would have been Ethel yeah. Brody. That would have been the but, best um, thing so yeah, um, the the daughter uh, Thea gets attacked, and then Michael is just like, yeah, it just he's like fuck this shit, you know, and then tells the mother about it and everything, and then the mother and then Ellen's Ellen Brody, they were fucking pissed. So Ellen. Much like uh, in the first movie, I guess, she kind of like decides, okay, I'm going to go out in the ocean now on this boat and I'm going to take care of this motherfucker. So let's go. Come on, Jaws. You son of a bitch. So, and somewhere in the middle of all this, like my cocaine and her develop like this romance which is basically most of the last half of the movie, by the way. And then, so he's a pilot and he flies a plane down there to try to help her. And, you know, she's on this ship and this. Doesn't the so, shark you, bite, like take a bite out of the airplane or something? Dude? This is what I say. Do you remember the scene where Michael Caine, like he gets out of the boat, like he lands the boat on the ocean. He gets out of the boat. The shark comes up and like lunges at him. He goes like, something, it's something like, oh shit. And then he like jumps back into the fucking plane. And then the shark's just like biting the plane and yeah, carrying it all. Take, he takes the plane uh, underwater, right? He just chomps. Yeah. The, yeah. That's definitely possible. Like definitely happened. Yeah. Yeah. Um, somebody did mention on here too. Um, the little girl in the movie actually passed away not long after this movie came out. Um, I did read about that. She was the voice of uh, Ducky and Land Before Time as well. Um, huh. Yeah, her... Um, it was like a murder-suicide deal, I think, with uh, her dad ended up killing her and her mom and then killing himself. So that's really sad. Like, I didn't realize that until after I watched the movie. No, I had no idea about that. Yeah. Judith Bassey, is that her name? Okay. Yeah, she'd done quite a few things. You know, and like she's only like 10 years old or something like that. So, but anyway, they end up uh, 
blowing a shark into smithereens was. And Jaws was never to be heard from again until Bruno Mattei brought him back in Jaws 5. Cruel Jaws. Cruel Jaws. See, here's the best part about that, too. Go back and watch this because I didn't, I never noticed this until the last time I watched it for this. But so there's a, here's how he goes about dying real quick. Like he's got this beacon thing on him that apparently like irritates the piss out of him when they hit a button. And so they're hitting the button and it's kind of like causing the shark to jump up out of the water mm-hmm. and they're driving a boat towards him. He jumps up out of the water. They got like a, the boat aimed towards him. It hits him. And then it doesn't just impale him. He literally explodes like, like he just spontaneously combusts. Yeah. Like if you, it's like, and hey, that, let me tell you something. It's like after you get done at Taco Bell, you get a cup, you get the big soft taco pack there, you know, it's like that sort of explosion you have in the toilet. It's just shit yeah. hemorrhage balls. It does literally hemorrhage to the ball. It just it falls everywhere. It's, you know. <laughs> yeah, it's a, and that but is yeah. the fitting end of that movie, really. Yeah, Jaws for the Revenge. Somebody said it's already out on Blu-ray. It's been out on Blu-ray for a couple of years. I didn't realize that. Maybe they're doing uh, – are they doing a three-pack of the sequels on Blu-ray maybe? That's what I was thinking of. I can't remember. But oh. uh, Rambo is saying that uh, Judy – Judith Barcy – passed away in 88 this came out in 87 so that's really sad and again though um she was like 10 years old in this movie and you were talking about before uh child actors were really really small for her age i would have guessed she was five years old in this movie four or five years old me too so yeah that is jaws the revenge um another interesting tidbit um, Lorraine Gary, somebody mentioned this on here. I want to get the guy's name. She was married to the executive and the um, Universal's chief executive, Sidney Scheinberg, at the time. And this was she had all, this is the only film this retired her. She's done. She didn't act in anything else after this. And she was in retirement before this from 1979 on until 87 and did this and this was it. So this Jaws 4 killed her career or she, I mean, it's kind of hard to come back from the, yeah, the serial killer shark movie. But what makes this movie too, like is it's just got a serious tone almost throughout the whole thing. Like she's trying to, it's almost like she's thinking she's going to be up for an Academy award nomination or something. (laughs) <laughs> with this movie she's playing a very serious role in this that's the one thing i could never understand like when she read that script like there had to come a point where she was like wait a minute you mean like this shark is following us around like systematically killing all of the family so like, that's ridiculous but it's almost like that thought never came to her like she really believes in the <laughs> script i don't know it it's it's an oddball movie though. Michael Caine being in it, and he did a few. Mi- Blame it on Rio was another one that was around that same time. It's very low budget, almost like a softcore porn in certain parts and stuff. But he did. There's a whole list of like really shitty movies that he did just so he could purchase this house. I think. 
anyway. yeah that's that's amazing though that's jaws the revenge um i did pre-order jaws five cruel jaws cruel jaws coming out on blu-ray it's actually oh, in the shit. mail i think it's in the mail i don't know if i want to open it though like i kind of bought it just to resale it because i know how stupid people are you probably Speaking should which, yeah. let's see if, i'll bring this up real quick too i was wanting to mention this earlier but i forgot somebody on the dead pit uh, message board posted mike gallagher on facebook these are just slip covers that are going for this price hell you can't see it slip cover body bags sold for 79.99 the slip cover i'm looking at that right now i need to go ahead and sell that <laughs> i'm thinking about too the slip cover of the burning sold for 59.99 why i don't know people are stupid but uh, <laughs> they really are. anyway we're going to continue on because i know this is the everybody was curious about what i don't think you've reviewed it at all even in the shows that we've done no. so far i'd never seen it until last night i finally watched it um and i would say it's probably the the sequel that nobody thought was ever going to happen three from hell from rob zombie I don't really even know where to begin with this, man. Like, there's... Oh, shit. Well, I took notes on this one, too, on my phone. Like, what I crack up at is how they explain away the beginning of the movie. They were blown all to hell at the end of Devil's Rejects, right? It said in the movie that they each were shot 20 times apiece, as well as in the freaking head, which you saw. Sid Hay got yeah. his head... He got his head shot off pretty much <clears throat> but they all survived uncle bill they all survived somehow and like and i think it's set like the most of the movie is set in the late 80s like i think it's 10 years after uh after devil's rejects and i didn't really even know this i didn't know what year it was set in until i watched this that was in 78 yeah so they talk about like the first, what, 20 minutes of the movie is almost like a documentary or something. They're trying to do, you know, some sort of like news documentary on the serial killers that are the devil's rejects. Um, and I honestly think, too, that the only reason they did that was just to have some excuse to put Sid Haig in there. Just for that one scene. Right. I mean, they... um do like an interview with Sid Haig, who you can tell um, is he's very frail and he looks, he looks very sick in the scene that he's in. Yeah. So I had read that originally the script did have Sid Haig in it. And then when Rob Zombie visited him, when he was doing rehab on whatever happened to him, I'm not really sure he realized there's no way he can do this movie, you know, but they still found, I think that's good. He still found a part for him in the movie. Um, but I guess their explanation is, uh, the reason Sid Haig is not in it is he is, uh, executed, um, about what, what is it? Three or four years before they escape. So that's, yeah, that's kind of how they executed by lethal injection, which is really kind of like harmful to the movie because 
honestly, Sid Haig was the best part, except for maybe Bill Mosley, of any of those movies. Mm-hmm. So without him in it, you have a really, really piss poor replacement. And I, I even like this guy. I kind of liked him in 31. Uh, he was the only person I liked in 31. But the, uh, what's his name? Um, it's like Richard Brick or something like that. Uh, a dollar seventy six. I'll take anything, boy. Yeah, whatever. <laughs> That's a super uh, chat. Thank you, Eric Perry. But yeah, like I'll he's that. he is the replacement, and that you just can't you can't replace that guy in these movies. Said hey, no. I mean they they had introduced. Uh, well, I guess we'll we'll move on with it. No. So. They um, plan their escape. Otis uh, has a brother, which his name in the movie is Winslow Foxworth Coltrane. Richard, what's his name? What's his real name? Richard. Richard Brake. Brake, yeah. Yeah. So there's, um, like they have a story too with the, the warden and whoever the jail supervisor is and just characters you don't give a shit about at all. And they go on and on about one thing or another forever. <coughs> they plan their escape. <laughs> well, the, well, the, uh, when Winslow is free, he helps Otis escape. They're doing like a pipeline or something. They're digging out or whatever. And, um, uh, you know, they kill everybody there, and Otis escapes. And this is where they, and you don't think this is going to be part of the story, but uh, um, Danny Trejo is briefly in the movie, and he is one of the prisoners that uh, Otis executes while he's escaping. And that'll lead up to the, the big showdown at the end, which for probably about an hour and 20 minutes into this movie, you're like, where the hell is this going? There's no, other I think, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I'm like, so, hey, what's, what's the resolution to, there's nothing here, you know? So that's the thing. They're like, there's several scenes in this movie that lead nowhere other than, I guess they were going for like the exploitation kind of stuff. That was the hotel scene in devil's rejects. Daddy. Like, it's just, Daddy. it's just a bunch of different, Daddy. like set pieces like that in this whole film. So they got the whole thing with the war, like the warden. And then they've got the thing with baby and the, uh, the corrections officer. They've got right. the thing with the clown. It's like Clint Howard is the clown, which goes, none of that stuff. It doesn't go anywhere. And it's not even scary at all. Like at least in the first one, like you were kind of like that whole thing was kind of menacing right. to see what they all went through. But this is like, there's, it's all CGI. You don't for a minute believe any of it. And like, it's just even the dialogue. And I hate to say this, but it's a thousand times worse than any of the other movies. It's very aggravating to listen to. And hey, I'm going to be honest with you. Foul language doesn't bother me. But when you just throw it out there for the sake of throwing it out there and put fuck, 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 and every, every damn sentence. That's just that's lazy, right? 
there. I mean, that script was lazy. There was no memorable lines in this movie at all. You know, no. uh, baby in this movie is aggravating as hell to listen to. Like she's she's way more annoying than she was in House of a Thousand Corpses, which is hard to believe it's true. And they kind of uh, make her like more of like a pivotal character in it too. So they focus on her a lot, but it's just like it goes nowhere. And it's like she's at a level 10 with that shit, you yeah. know, that gimmick. Oh, yeah. I mean, and it, well, she's she's always been kind of crazy, but she takes it just to, like it's just annoying now. So nobody got skull fucked in this one. No. But uh, they playing baby. They, yeah, they get a, they kidnap or take hostage the family of the warden and the jail superintendent or whoever the other guy is. And, um, they kind of have had a big scene there and everybody gets killed there eventually. But, uh, they use the warden to help them get baby out of prison as well. Um, and then they go down to Mexico to hide out. And, Eventually, Which, eventually the um, I guess it's the son of Danny Trejo. He's like a big mafia guy in Mexico or something, and he's been looking for the Devil's Rejects. And um, there's like this big showdown at the end of the movie with a bunch of guys in luchador masks, and it's just yeah. I mean, I can't even tell you how aggravating it is, too, that the movie skips around so much and has so many different, like, tones to it and just so many needless scenes. Like, what the fuck was the whole thing with, like, Baby and the guy that worked in the hotel at that Mexican place? The midget. And, like, yeah, and then their friendship and all this. And I'm just like... There's not really a point because everybody gets killed. <laughs> yeah. What? Yeah. Um, so there's just I mean, like so many throwaway characters in it too. Like there's all the the Mexican hookers in it, and then there's the one scene where <clears throat> they introduce the, this one Mexican hooker and uh, Coltrane or whatever Fox Trot or whatever his name is says, oh, I'm, gonna "I'm gonna take you away from this Mexican hell hole. You're gonna be on the road with me now, baby." And then five minutes later, she gets killed. Yeah, Rob Zombie is like he is terrible at creating a story or characters aside from the ones that he created 20 years ago. Well, in this movie though, it's not just that, like he's been bad at that for a long time, but there's something about this movie that number one screams. I don't give a shit. And number two is like, I wrote this in like two weeks and number three, like I'm just cashing in. Oh God, he's back! Hi, little boy. Oh God, Ooh. what are you doing? He's crying because he got he saw that movie too. Oh, he's looking at Freddy. That's what he's doing. He's fascinated by this Freddy standee. He's going to tear it up for you. <laughs> he probably will. Come on, rip head this rip Freddy! Oh yes, 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 yes. yes. Oh no! Oh 
can't tell if he wants to get up or down. He's wanting to know what you're doing in here looking at a computer. He probably does. He's very confused. No. Yeah. Anyway. So, anyway, back to the movie. Um, it was. It's a prime example of cash in. That's what it is. Ain't nobody waited 15 years to make a movie like this. No. No. There's no effort to it. There's no like direction to it. The writing is like as bad as you could possibly imagine. Like, take any of his films and multiply it by 10, and that's how bad the dialogue is in this movie. All the characters are just, they're repeating the same thing, but it's none of it works. Like, I don't know how to put it, but it's like they don't even know what they're doing. I guess right. that's the acting part of it. I mean, Bill Mosley's well, I mean, the same. Yeah, Bill Mosley does good in it. He's about the only one that does good in it. Richard Brock Brace, Bracky. He's not he's a throwaway character to me. I mean, I had no interest in him. He's just he looks like somebody that would sell rugs at Bull Creek. <laughs> yeah. 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 I mean, I mean he was a thousand times better in 31, which I is a thousand times better movie, and that movie's awful. If that tells you anything. Well, like I just you just cannot prepare yourself. Like if you've seen the other two movies, there is no way to prepare yourself for how bad this movie is. Like the look of it, the acting in it, the CGI, the everything that you would pray would not be in a movie like this is. Um, the best scene in the movie though, I was telling you this last night by far, by far, and they, the movie may have, um, had they included and sprinkled a little bit of his music into the actual movie, it maybe would have made it a little bit better. The closing credit sequence, uh, Terry Reed's Faith to Arise was like the only other song that he didn't use on the Seed of Memory album was uh, the closing scene in this movie. And it's by far the best scene in the whole movie. And it's mainly just due to the music. Yeah. I mean, that's pretty bad that the closing credits are the best part, but they are like, I don't even know, you know, it's the same. I think it's the same closing credit style as, as devil's rejects. I think it's a, it's a road. They're using like a, uh, a drone or something like that and filming the road or whatever. I think it's the exact same as devil's rejects. It's probably why I liked it. So, yeah, I mean, it's just sad that the, this is the ultimate kind of sequelitis to me where it's like they just drained all of the energy out of those movies and just ended on one of the worst kind of laziest notes that you could end on. Did we talk about the, uh, the it was really noticeable to me was the CGI gunshots and the blood and stuff like that. It looked awful. It was terrible. I don't know what kind of a budget he had to work with with this. I don't think did this ever come out in any theater at all. I don't think it did. I don't think so. But I'll say this: Do you remember the scene in Devil's Rejects? I always thought this scene was awful too, where she throws the knife at the uh, in the hotel room at uh, Priscilla Barnes, I think it is, and it like gets stuck in her chest, and that's clearly like CG blood. It right. looks like thirty times worse than that, and and that was fifteen years ago. Yes, and they that's because they didn't linger on it in Devil's Rejects, but they do in like all of the scenes in this movie, and you can clearly tell 
how bad it is. I mean, to be honest with you, a lot of the dialogue in Devil's Rejects was a lot like the dialogue in this. Yes. But there was some moments where there was there was some memorable shit in Devil's Rejects. 2D fucking fruity was one. Um what Official was the line? business? Yeah. The um I mean there was stuff there was nothing in this though that you could remember. Like I'm the devil, I am here to do the devil's work. Devil's whatever. work, yeah. Yeah. No, which I think that's a line from a serial killer or something, right? It's it's, Ma- it's Manson, yeah. Okay, or one of the but, one of the Manson family said it, yeah. But still, I mean, that's a great line, and he delivered that line. That was memorable. Nothing memorable in oh. in uh, Three from Hell at all. No, and at the end of it, by the end, by the middle of the movie, towards the end, you're just like, "Am I watching like some sort of bizarre vacation?" home video footage. It's like they're just staying in this Mexican villa, doing nothing, throwing knives and shit, drinking beer, having sex with midgets or whatever, and it's like... And it also seems like they just introduce characters throughout the movie just to kill. Like, you don't have... Like, there was the guy that was in uh, Sean Whalen or whatever that was in uh, People Under the Stairs. He's briefly in it because they kill him. I don't know if it's just a bunch of... If ever... If ever there was a scene that just screamed, you know, we're just doing this because it's we needed to get a celebrity cameo in here and it's just bizarre, you know, we're going to have a fucking clown show up for no reason and we're going to murder him. Yeah, we're going we're going to kill the clown. We're going to have him piss his pants too. Which if you think about it, it's kind of it's kind of like a metaphor for maybe that's what he was going for. Maybe he's like, we're going to kill the clown in this movie, meaning we're going to kill the fucking series. <laughs> like, you know, everything in it. Yeah. That you, that you enjoyed. You know? So <clears throat> some guys on the chat saying it had a $3 million budget. That's very low. Yeah. So, I mean, you can tell. Yeah. So like, that's kind of surprising really, because, the Devil's Rejects and House of Thousand Corpses both have a massive following. You would think Lionsgate would be excited about another one, um, but maybe they did read the script beforehand. So this is I all we're giving you, boy. I mean, it, you could probably figure this out, but I wonder how it did, like sale-wise, on oh, Blu-ray. Well, it's been it's in every store you can think of. I've seen it in Walmart, Best Buy. Um, all the major retailers target. Yeah. I mean, I guess just on the premise of it alone, it probably did fairly well, but right. I don't know, man. Yeah. I mean, Rob Zombie's done as a filmmaker. Like it's the point now where he's totally like, he is not inspired at all no. uh, for this. I don't know. I really don't know what the point is of making this movie for me. I don't like, the end of Devil's Rejects, that was a definite end. Where you're getting your, blame, uh, your, your brains blown out at the end of the movie and shot up like crazy. There's no... I mean, really? Okay, each of these guys were shot 20 times. They were on life support for a while, but they're, they're back. They're fine, too, with no notable kind of problems or anything like no. that from getting shot 20 times. <laughs> like, no. Yeah. And the thing is, is that, like, okay, 
15 years have went by, or I guess 14 with the time he was making this, 13, 14 years. He wrote this thing in like a weekend or something. He was not inspired at all to make a sequel on these characters that are so beloved by all the horror fans around the world. You know, I mean, it's just, it was a waste, really. If you got that many coming back, and I'm like, I think somebody um, mentioned, I would have, instead of Richard Brake, I would have brought back, like, uh, somebody mentioned DDP. To me, that would be, I would rather have him back. Yeah. Because he has a connection. You know. Well, it's like they bring back these people that, that everybody knows from the rest of the series, like Danny Trejo. And then, like you said, they just kill their ass off. Like, I, I don't know, man. Like, either he was trying to just destroy it purposely, mm-hmm. or he is just so burnt out on making films that, like, this is the best he could do. And I don't know which one's worse, really. Yeah, it's not like he needs money. And <laughs> I mean, I guess Sherry, maybe Sherry Moon wanted to be in another movie. Maybe that's what it was. Well, they definitely focused on her way too much. Like, yeah, Sherry Moon is one of those people where if if small doses, you don't notice how bad of an actor she is or how annoying she is. But when you like highlight that and you give her these monologues and stuff, oh my god, man! Like it's just not. You can't even watch that shit. No. But. That is a Rob Zombie film, Three from Hell. Um, the price on this thing has dropped like crazy since it came out. I could if have gotten this this cheaper, but I, I think it's on Blu-ray for like $10 on average. The 4K of it's about $11 on average, $11, $12. I'm kind of glad I didn't get the 4K of it because it doesn't look like it's, it's one of those movies that would look very good in 4K. Oh, no. So I'm fine with well, I'm I'm not fine, but I'm happier that I spent ten dollars instead of twelve dollars on something I'll never watch again. I mean, if you look though, uh, look at the last couple of like three or four movies that he's done. I mean, I'm not sure what happened, but you know, thirty one and three from hell. And I even liked Lord of Salem, but like most people don't like that movie. I kind of like that movie too. I wouldn't mind watching that one again. Yeah. Grande's Graveyard says the same thing. Yeah. I think like, uh, and I have not seen this movie since it came out. I actually think Rob Zombie's Halloween 2 was better than this movie. I do too. (laughs) I really do. At least with the ends of... uh, of H2, the theatrical version. I think that the, the, they took all that out of the director's cut. It's got in your mind, you're like, what did I see here? Was it Michael Myers or was it her? Yeah. So at least there's that aspect to it. There's nothing really in, in Three from Hell. I mean, it's just, like I said, it's the clearest example of a cash-in on a franchise that I've seen in recent memory, at least. Yeah, and I mean, if you think about it, like even me... With like Halloween and Halloween 2, like once every like two years or so, I'll be like, I wonder if that movie is really as bad as I thought it was. There's parts of it that are interesting. Like I'll go back and watch it. But I have never for five seconds thought about going back and watching Three from Hell. 
Like I never even. Well, it's just it just came out last year, so maybe next year be two years. You're like, all right, let's watch it again. No, I, I just don't. I don't think it's ever going to happen. I really don't. Can you imagine sitting there and just being like, I really need to see Three from Hell again, go through that fucking mess. You know, and uh, when we first watched House of a Thousand Corpses, I don't think either of us really enjoyed it, but it grew on us a little bit. I mean, it's still, second half of the movie is still kind of awful. But like the, cinem- the cinematography on that, man, that's amazing. That's his best, uh, that's yeah. Rob Zombie's best visual movie, easily. Um, I actually really think, I think that maybe, too, the first half of that movie is probably the best thing he's ever done. Just in terms of like the way that it looks, you know, the stuff with Captain Spaulding. I think the first probably hour of that movie, 45 minutes to an hour of that movie, is probably the best thing he's ever done. But it just unfortunately goes to hell after that. But yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, and like he was definitely inspired with that movie. So I know that was one that he had tried to get made for. It's probably three or four years at the time. I think they filmed it a couple years before it actually came out. But, <clears throat> but yeah, that is three from hell. Will Rob Zombie direct another movie? You think, or you think it's over with for him? I, I mean, who's to say? But I, I would like to think he probably should stop. I don't know Maybe what else he, he'd do at this point. But he can make the haunted world of El Super Beasto too. Electric Boogaloo. See, I, I forget about shit like that, you know? Yeah. I think everybody has. I mean, so. maybe he'll go back to music. I don't know. I mean, you really can't even do anything with music anymore. It's not like he's going to go on tour or anything, so I'm not no, sure what he'll I, do. I think the concert thing's done for a while. So He's got enough money, man. Like He doesn't need to do anything, really. Um, but the look of... Uh, Aiden was mentioned, the look of uh, House of Thousand Corpses. Uh, yeah, and the Blu-ray of that is amazing. It was one of the very first Blu-rays that came out. And still to this day, the transfer on that thing is amazing. Like, if you put it in now, it looks as good as something brand new that would yeah. come out looks. So, I would love for that one to uh, come to 4K at some point. I'm sure it will. I mean, okay. Take, just for a second. Take the first scene from House of a Thousand Corpses with the you know the guys that rob Captain Spaulding's. That's how that movie opens, right? Mm-hmm. There is nothing in his last three movies that I can remember even like half as much as that first scene. I mean, yeah, and then, even like, and then the the song House of a Thousand Corpses hits and the credit yeah the credits start up yeah. on it. That's badass, man. I don't care who you are. And I'm not even a big Rob Zombie fan of music or whatever, but that's a killer song. Yep. So, but yeah, um, that's a couple of movies that we came up with for the first sequelitis in seven years. Uncle Will, can you believe that? That's hard to believe. But those two movies, like, in different ways are kind of the same movie. They're both just huge cash-ins on, like, a concept that once worked. Andre Gower from the Monster Squad, and you're listening to Dead Pit Radio.
Howdy, folks, and welcome back to Dead Pit Radio. Creepy Kentuckian here. I'm Uncle Bill. I'm the captain. Captain B plan, boy, that's his new gimmick. What do you think about his new gimmick, Uncle Bill? <laughs> How do you get fucking promoted all the way up to a captain? Damn. Well, he just, just put a hat on. He kind of oh, took yeah. ownership, yeah. man, at, at the Spirit Halloween that day, and he was just, he's in control now. He's captain of the, <laughs> his his slogan is, uh, Giello wishes and baklava dreams. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he's running this fucking monkey farm now. so um real quick here though we we were talking in the last segment uh we had talked about jaws four and the uh you know three from hell i just wanted to get steve's quick thoughts on both of those movies and when the last time you'd seen those well jaws four it's been a long time unless you you know, you catch it when they're showing like a marathon of all those movies. It was, yeah. I, I mean, I li- I listened to you guys talk about it, and it was a it's a very strange movie. I'm not sure where they came up with the idea that the shark was going to get its revenge on the the Brody family. Yeah, I think somebody was high in a board meeting when they come up with that, and they all like agreed. <laughs> Let's go ahead and do this shit. Well, they went the. I was watching a documentary about Jaws 2, and it was like an hour, over an hour long, and it was just talking about, you know, they, they went through several scripts and stuff, and I, I'm like, how did this one, I think that by that time, they just didn't give a shit. The best part about that is, I wonder if, like, anybody at any time questioned that script, or if everybody was just like, yeah, this seems fine. <laughs> like, <laughs> well, what, was, what we were saying, though, is like, it's not like this was a low-budget movie. I mean, they had spent some money on this. If you see this movie in HD, it looks really fucking good. So, that's, <laughs> that really is. Yeah. So, um, that's just an anomaly, man. I don't know. I don't know what happened there. Um, but that was the movie that really killed the Jaws franchise, aside from Bruno Mattei when he brought it back to life there in Italy. Yeah. Just, uh, well, it was 90, wasn't and it? Got, and got sued. <laughs> I can't imagine why that cover's fucking amazing. Well, well, they got a Hulk Hogan lookalike in it too. Yeah, they got Randy Hogan in it, the wrestler. <laughs> oh yeah, the jobber. That's right. Yeah, he's the job jobber wrestler that they got in that movie, if I'm not mistaken. So, um, but yeah, we're talking about Cruel Jaws. That is actually one that I'd gotten in this past week from Saber and Films. Have you all purchased anything? Uh, New lately uh, for the horror season coming up? No, the only thing that I got, all that stuff is pre-ordered, and it'll all probably be here around the same time. But I haven't bought anything really new. You talking about the vinegar syndrome stuff? I, I got that, and then the shit from you know, I don't know though. I didn't know what the hell's going on with a lot of the other stuff that I bought. But yeah, definitely the vinegar syndrome stuff because I ended up buying the. Uh, Whatever that uh, blind purchase thing is. Oh yeah, the with Beastmaster in 4K. Well, no, that I that was separate. This is like two films. They don't even tell you what they are. They're just like, <laughs> here's here's two films. Like one of them's a slasher film, and one of them's a film from the 80s. And like, 
just fucking buy them, and I did. That's how deep oh, okay. I got into it. Well, yeah, that was their uh, <laughs> their Black Friday pre order thing, right? And they got uh, fa- yeah. fade to black, but they didn't have the pre order for that unless you bought the whole the whole bundle. <clears throat> right, I bought the fucking bundle for October, but I don't think fade to black was in it. I think that was like that was the one that had uh, the Santa Claus doll code Santa or whatever, and all mm-hmm. the other stuff. So, um, yeah, we were talking about, too, the, um, I guess the Best Buy Steelbooks are kind of getting hard to find, the new uh, ones that came out this past week. Steve got both of those. Have you gotten anything else, uh, Steve, or ordered anything, or are you kind of waiting around for, usually there's a lot of sales that come online. I think Deep Discount has like a 15% off coupon, but other than that, there's not, I think, I think Walmart.com may have some uh, Vestron stuff on sale, but. I haven't seen a whole lot. Well, I got that. Uh, I can't remember if it's Vinegar Syndrome or Severin. <laughs> I think it's Vinegar Syndrome. I uh, got the Grave Robbers, which is like the Mexican uh, Friday the 13th, which it really, I don't know. <laughs> but it's a pretty fun movie. Um, I got a couple extra steel books. I got Fury Road, um, Ghost in the Shell. And I, I, I've got 300 coming, so, but that's pretty much all I've got as of right now. I'm watching, I, was, I busted open my Beast Must Die from Severin, mm-hmm. and I was watching it, and it looked really good. I picked up the DVD of uh, the new Hellraiser movie for cheap, uh, Hellraiser Judgment, <laughs> so I figured that might be something, that might be a sequelitis oh, uh, in the future <laughs> at some point. <laughs> We can do like a we can do a Hellraiser double feature of Hellraiser Revelations and uh, Hellraiser Judgment. Now, which one was it that introduced like the fat Hellraiser? That was the Revelations. No. I don't know if Judgment yeah. has does Judgment have the same guy playing uh, Pinhead? The I don't know. I don't no, know. actually, I remember. I, I I didn't think that movie was that bad. The Judgment. Okay. I mean, it can't be it. That is revelation. There's no fucking way. Yeah. Yeah. So I didn't watch that one, but the judgment I was curious about watched it, and I was surprised that it was kind of decent, uh, uh, you know, among the sequels, the later sequels. So um, I guess the reason we're all three on here now, though, is we got a preview copy. I think it comes out a little bit later this month on DVD and Blu-ray. Andre Gower's worked on this for at least a couple of years. I think since 2017 is when they started working on this. It's a documentary on the Monster Squad called Wolfman's Got Nards. Um, and I know for myself and Uncle Bill, we're around the same age. This was like a big movie that not a whole lot of... They t- explained it well in the documentary. Not a whole lot of people really knew what it was back when it came out. It was kind of like a, um, a cult film in a way. They were kind of debating, was it a cult film, wasn't it a cult film? Um, and it didn't really get an audience until, they were talking about the documentary really, up until just a few years ago, I guess with the DVD coming out and stuff like that because it was so hard to find. Uh, but Steve, you're you're quite a bit older than us. What, <laughs> what, do, you, what do you... As far as your memory goes, remember about the Monster Squad back when it came out? 
did, when did you first hear about it? Cause I think we've, we've talked about it before and we'll go over it again, but when did you first I mean, get remember, catch wind of it? If you will. I remember seeing the commercials for it. I believe it's kind of hard for me to remember 87. Is that a rough um, year for you? Well, because <laughs> I joined the army in the summer, so I was gone. So, uh, and I was gone for two years pretty much. I saw some movies, but not a lot, but I did watch it on VHS when I came home and, uh, I thought it was, you know, pretty good. I, I mean, I'm a big fan of the, uh, universal monsters. So I, I really liked that. And, uh, I, at that point I didn't know anything about Fred Decker and all the other movies and stuff like that. I just, just, just kind of randomly rented stuff that, you know, you locked the cover, read the description, and that was one of those that I rented a few times. Yeah, when with, you know, we were young kids at the time when it came out, like seven, six, seven years old. I can't remember the exact year, but it was in the, it was in the uh, video store. I saw the video and the, the VHS cover on this is just legendary. So I think a lot of people discovered it that way initially, but it was still... It was a movie that not a lot of people really knew about. Um, I think even when uh, uh, me and Uncle Bill started the show, there wasn't a whole lot of people talking about it. This was like 2005, 2006. But they talk about in the documentary about you know when the movie came out initially, it bombed. It didn't really do anything in theaters. And they were like going over why they, they think that is. Um, but yeah, I mean, around that time period when the DVD came out, I think a lot more people got to see it and there's like a new generation of, of fans, uh, checking the movie out. It's also one of those movies that I can remember because I don't know in the, in the mid to late eighties, almost everybody had a cable box, whether it was legal or illegal around here, but everybody had access to cable and it was one of those movies that was constantly on. HBO or Cinemax or one of those channels because I can remember it being on like that all the time. Yeah, I, I think so too. Yeah. I, I know it was HBO or Cinemax or Showtime or something like that. It was on. Um, and the the cool thing about the Monster Squad, I think, and that's why it, it was kind of like the Goonies, but it was the Goonies that nobody really knew about. And it was, yeah. it was uh, for hardcore, you know, old school horror fans too. Um, but yeah, I mean this, this documentary, we'll get into it. I was very, very surprised at how well done this is essentially from what I've looked up. And I mean, I haven't done a whole lot of research on this. Andre Gower, he made this movie. Um, when they were doing that, they were doing like a tour together uh, went to conventions and stuff like that. And you can tell there's certain spots because they do have, uh, you know, Heather Langenkamp and they got Chuck Russell uh, interviews and uh, the stuff. I think it's from Spooky Empire Convention or something. So it's essentially like, it sounds very much like how Kelly did our documentary. Just yeah. a limited budget thing and made the most of what he could out of it. Uh, and he had, definitely has some connections because of the movie, because people were such big fans of the movie. You had, uh, they had a lot of like, uh, the, 
I think the writer of the Goldbergs, Matt Goldberg, was a big, big fan of the movie, and they interviewed him. Um, mm-hmm. And Seth Green is on there as well. Um, of course, you can't have a horror documentary without fucking <laughs> Joe Lynch and Adam Green. They were both on there. I knew when I saw that. I was like, oh, God, he's going to be bitching about this. <laughs> eh, it is what it is. I'm not surprised. I was waiting on him. So. Yeah, they're, I don't know how they get into every single documentary, but they do. Right. There's a lot of stuff, though. Uh, there's a lot of stuff in this that, like, I really didn't have any idea about. And, for instance, like, everything that was going against that movie when it came out, like, it came out the same, basically the same week as The Lost Boys. And it was, like, it was rated PG-13, which I really didn't even think about that at the time because it really didn't have an audience. Like the people that would want to see a movie like a, a group movie like that would have gone to see the lost boys because it had like all the cool teens and shit in it. But then the kids couldn't get in to see a movie about kids because it was rated PG 13. So it really, that to me is probably why it wasn't as successful as it should have been. Yeah. I think really with that movie too, like you could have done a few small tweaks and it could have been rated PG. Yeah, I mean, there was, I guess PG-13 was different back then, too, and I'm pretty sure it was from what I remember. Mm -hmm. Well, I remember seeing titties and shit in, like, uh, 16 Candles, and that was just a PG movie, I think. Man, they ain't nothing better than titties and shit. Not titties in a PG movie is awesome. Yeah. (laughs) Um. So, like, basically, they're doing the complete history of the Monster Squad in this uh, from its initial release theatrically. Uh, they kind of go over the, the failed marketing campaigns um, from the movie, like the wanted posters and shit, which evidently those are, those are very rare. I'd never really even seen those before. I saw a few on uh, eBay when I, I was just looking for memorabilia after I saw the, the documentary and I think they're going for quite a, you know, it's like three to 500 bucks. That's wild. Yeah. That, I think that was, um, those were just like subway posters or something. Yeah. They look, they don't look like a standard. Yeah. They're a lot, they're, uh, you know, they're horizontal. So yeah. So, um, yeah, basically like they're, <clears throat> They're talking about um, the impact on the movie that the movie had on filmmakers today. They have a lot of, uh, they had the special effects guy from, um, God, what was his name? The Shape of Water. He did the the suit in that. That Mm -hmm. Monster Squad was one of his big influences. Um, So, yeah, I mean, it's just kind of like a, a 90 minutes worth of the history and they talk about, I guess, the rise uh, again of the movie when it finally came out on DVD. Um, they also have a lot of behind-the-scenes footage from the movie, which I thought was really cool. Fred Decker's in the movie. It's not really... I don't know what the deal is. Did, was Decker just not interviewed very long or what? Because it seems like they don't really talk with him a whole lot in the documentary. Uh, I, I mean, I don't know if they probably like when the, the documentary on you guys, they probably filmed a ton of shit and then they 
try to, you know, pare it down to a reasonable length. So I, I yeah, I would I would guess that they probably interviewed him a lot longer than, you know, and they just uh dwindled it down to the, the nitty gritty. To me, like out of the whole cast, because they basically got the entire cast except for the guy that played Horace because he passed away, but out of the whole cast, he's the most interesting one though, just because of like how conflicted he is about the movie. Like that was the best part of it to me was that he number one won't call it a cult film. Number two is not really even sure that like it was a good experience for him. I mean, even when it comes back in like, you know, two thousand five, two thousand six and gets like a cult following and he's talking about all that he's still like you know i think the he used like a metaphor talking about like it's like if you shot a basketball and then 20 years later it went in it's like yeah. yeah well i mean he's like because he admits he's like it's it's the best movie i've made but it killed his career <laughs> at the same time yeah yeah so yeah i mean there were a lot of hurdles with this movie and i think a lot of the marketing and the fact that the timing of it, like lost boys, like you said, it had just, just come out like a week before or something. Um, and it really didn't, I don't know if it promoted itself as a horror movie or more or less a kids kind of just a fun movie for kids when it, it's a movie that can be enjoyed by anybody. I mean, if you're a fan of, of the universal monster movies, you're going to love it just because it's, you know, the updated and they were talking about the Gill man uh, in this and they didn't have permission to, to use the designs from universal. And I think a lot of the, the wording, like they can use Frankenstein because that was originally a book. Um, but the creature from the black lagoon and all that stuff, they had to change that a little bit and they go over the history of that. Um, Stan Winston Studios, how important it was. Uh, a lot of those guys designed the, and they were really going, and I agree. I mean, the creature in that still to this day looks amazing. Um, for I mean, that movie came out in, what, 87? So, mm-hmm. I mean, it's like almost, what, 33 years ago? Mm-hmm. I do, I really think that, honestly, like those uh, incarnations of the universal monsters are probably the best modern ones. Like if you can think of any other where the where Frankenstein or Frankenstein monster and like Dracula and the mummy look as good as they do without looking fucking stupid, which a lot of the modern ones did. Like I can't think of any. Right. Well, the thing is, is the, the big thing with the universal movies now is they really want to modernize the hell out of it, which means a shit ton of CG Right. And yeah. with this, it was kind of a throwback to, you know, those original movies. Uh, the I thought the mummy in this, I remember when I was a kid, the mummy and the monster squad freaked me the hell out because I was like, how in the hell did they do that? And evidently they just got a really, really skinny fucking guy to, to mm-hmm. be the mummy. <laughs> um, but, um, yeah, I mean, Wolfman's gotten ours though, getting back to it. They, Andre Gower does an amazing job in this. I mean, this is really um, 90 minutes. Like, I watch this at work on my phone, and I enjoy it. Like, I I didn't want, you know, when I'd get a call or something like that, I was like, hey, fuck this. You know. it, <laughs> um, 
And and there's a lot of people that we knew that was in this documentary too, and it was fun to see um, Adam Hewlin and Matt Panashi are both in it, and they were talking about yeah. um, discovering the the film print of the Monster Squad, which was one of the only I think it was one of the only ones known, and they'd gotten it shipped uh, to them from fucking New Zealand or something, which I'm sure costs as much as like a good used car to ship. <laughs> because I've shipped plenty of those film prints, even to like you know. Uh, California or something like that is about a hundred bucks. So, uh, and Michael Slipcase Felcher is in this briefly as well. And we actually were the ones to first inform Slippy that he was even in it. He hasn't seen the movie yet. <laughs> he was like, Oh, really? I'm in it? <laughs> yeah, he's in it. And I was like, Here you go, Slippy. Happy birthday. And I sent him a link to it. So hopefully he got to see it now. But I mean, there there is a whole section where it kind of talks about that that time period, which kind of coincides with when Slippy was doing like a lot of stuff like that too. That renaissance of those movies, those eighties movies like that, like everybody wanted Night of the Creeps to come out and the Monster Squad to come out and like on DVD, and they finally did. And that was also around the time when Slippy was getting into the special feature thing, mm-hmm. right? And it all kind of collided together like the mega powers it was like it was a horror you know the horror genre in general in like 2000 probably 2006 to 2009 2010 was just fucking insane like and how many releases that came out from that time frame how many studios were releasing stuff i mean there's like you can i'm going through and trying to thin out my DVD collection here in this room so I can make room for the big Friday the 13th box set and you know all this stuff that's coming out and it's amazing at how many of these studios are gone now you know from that time period you know the one I miss the most it's probably still fucking going Tartan Asian Extreme I don't think <laughs> they the Tartan may be around but I don't think they're doing the Asian Extreme shit that shit died the way of the dodo um and they did really uh i really really loved the segment that they did on uh uh, brent chalam who played horace um it was really sad too because of the you know he had died at a really really young age back in the late 90s of uh complications from pneumonia and they kind of explained what happened there and how he really didn't he didn't get to enjoy any of the, you know, the resurgence of the movie. And he's one of the central characters in the movie, really. Yeah. It also like answers a question that I had too, which was like, after a movie like that's over, like, do the people that are in it, like, do they, what do they do? And the majority of them are just like, I never want to fucking talk about this again. Like, that was kind of the, the approach that a lot of them took. Like, uh, the guy, what's his name? The guy that, uh, I want to say, is it Ryan Lambert? Is that right? Rob. Yeah. Yeah, he's just like, dude, I never wanted to speak about it. Like, I never wanted anybody to know I was in it. I never told anybody I was in it. It's it's like it doesn't exist. And no, once something like that bombs, it doesn't exist because nobody talks about it and nobody wants to be in it at that point either when you'd mentioned before though like there are a couple more monster squad uh members though that were not interviewed and 
they have never done interviews for the movie, which I thought was kind of odd. Um, the little boy that played Eugene, he's uh, Bud Bundy's younger brother. He's never done oh. an interview. Um, and the the boy that played, um, oh God, his name is, uh, he's Sean's best friend in the movie. I can't remember his name in the movie. I think his name's Rob, Robbie Kiger. Um, they've never interviewed him either. And I wonder what the deal is with that. Maybe we can ask Slippy and, and see, because both of those guys are pretty easily found on Facebook. Um, so yeah, I wonder what the story is with that because technically they were members of the monster squad as well. And they haven't done a interview at all for the for the movie on the DVD or this documentary or anything. There's some people that you just come to find out like they, even if the movie gets popular again, they just don't want anything to do with certain movies. Like I always kind of felt like, um, I don't know if you felt this way, but Steve Miner and they, uh, you know, just going to conventions and things, I never felt like that he was comfortable like talking about a lot of the films that he made either. Like, yeah. The ones that weren't Friday the 13th, anyway. Well, I mean, um, he kind of went on and was doing mainstream movies for a little while there. Like, he did, didn't he do like Placid and uh, he did one of the Halloween movies, Halloween H2O. Yeah, I mean, he did a lot of little little horror films. I don't know if you call them little or not, but, like, yeah, ones that not, I don't think many people knew he directed. But that's what I mean. There's just some people that, like, I think that they just, they do a project like that for whatever reason, maybe just, uh, you know, get a SAG card, or, mm-hmm. uh, and then they just don't want to ever talk about it again. I'll tell you another one that they had briefly interviewed in this, and I really have no... I mean, there, he didn't really contribute anything at all, and that was Zack Ryder. <laughs> he was, like, barely in it and didn't say anything at all. Like, it was almost like he was fed what to say. So I don't know if he's, like, I don't know if he's a real fan of the movie or not. I don't know. They had a lot of people in that documentary, though. Yeah, he could have well, like gone. Tom Newman, he wasn't in it as well. Who's that? Tom Noonan. Oh yeah, Tom Noonan. That's dude. That guy is fucking weird, though. He is kind like, of odd, in, yeah. Just in general, I can totally see him not wanting to have anything to do with that. Like just how his personality is. In watching him in the interviews mm-hmm. and things like that, and he's always like a method guy too. And those guys are always the freakier. Well, the only um, monster that was in it was um, uh, Duncan, who played the the Dracula. In the movie, I think there was that was the only one they didn't get the mummy guy in it either. Well, Tom Woodruff was in it. Now he was the Gill Man. I forgot. I forgot that. So he's right. he's in the documentary. So there are some key key people that's not in it. Um, the the guy that played the dad, Stephen uh, Mocked, is in it. Um, I think the lady, oddly enough, and a lot of people kind of compare the Goonies and the Monster Squad, right? The mother, uh, Mary Ellen Trainer, she was the mother in both of those movies. Yeah. Um, and unfortunately, she had passed away a few years ago, so they couldn't get her. Um, but that would have been really cool to. Um, a lot of people don't really talk about that, but yeah, she was the mom in the Goonies and the mom in the Monster Squad. So that's kind of cool. But 
What did you guys think, though, overall of the documentary? Did you uh, enjoy it? Well, you know I did. I mean, I liked it because of the way that they put it together in terms of they took you through the whole process of how it got started, what happened with it, like why it didn't do well, what happened to everybody that was in it, well, that they had on there anyway, and even some of they didn't. And then like the, the kind of resurgence part of it towards the end. So I liked that he took the hook of it to be like, you know, it being a cult film. So it's kind of explaining like how a cult film gets to become a cult film. That's really the narrative of the documentary, I think, and what happens to everybody in that. Right. I thought it was really good. Yeah, I really enjoyed it too. Uh, I mean, everybody comes off pretty likable, so there's not really any, any, anything, any bad uh, vibes in it. But there was one thing that really, when they talk to Fred Decker, sometimes they'll have like a track shot that goes to this side and, you, and you're and you seeing this back room with this big painting or something. And they did that almost every time that they had a little thing with Fred Decker. Did you all remember seeing that? I think it was, yeah. it may have been the same shot they kept using. <laughs> well, it, it looked like his mouth was, you know, uh, the audio was different, but... I was just wondering, they never did that with anyone else. And I was like, why do they keep doing this track shot over and over again? Mm-hmm. But other than that, it was a, a very entertaining documentary about a about a, good, a cool movie from the past. The, um, yeah, I mean, I got to say, we interviewed um, Fred Decker and Andre Gower both back, God, it's probably been 12, 13 years ago. And we've met Andre Gower a couple of times. He's a fucking great guy, Andre Gower is. Like, he's just a regular dude. Um, He come over and at the Fright Night show initially and wanted to buy a Dead Pit shirt. And I was like, no, you can, it's yours, go ahead. You know, so, like, it's great to see cool things like this coming from cool people. You know, a good guy, definitely, for sure. And um, I think at that point in time, man, he was the only one that was really champion in that movie. It may, it may have took him to convince the other guys to say, "Hey, there's there's something here. You know, we need we need to move forward with this and see." And because now, I mean, this movie is it's just uh, gained just a very crazy large audience, and they do a lot of uh, a lot of. Um, shots of fans collections and, and stuff like that in it as well. So if you're a big fan of the monster squad or just cult movies in general, eighties movies, this is an amazing documentary. It's a lot of fun and it's 90 minutes that just kind of flies by. Yeah. I, I mean, probably, like I said, the, the, aside from how it became, what it became, the best part of that documentary is, is that, I really want to know what the fuck is going on with Fred Decker. Like, he really, like, you know, I get the fact that both of the films that he probably spent the most time on are cult, people would call them cult films, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, not Creeps and the Monster Squad, but weren't successful when they first came out, gained an audience on home video, and then became what they are now. 
but it's like he really seems to have a problem with that and like just with the idea of a cult film in general well you gotta think though i mean what was the last thing that fred decker directed was it a tales from the crypt episode it might be something like that i'm not sure so i mean I'm sure that he's glad that it's got an audience now, but at the same time, I mean, I don't know what Fred Decker does now. I think he's more of a script doctor. So, yeah, I mean, he's working in, he's working in California and Hollywood doing something, but he's not a filmmaker. And I'm, he was like, if you look at the behind the scene footage of the monster squad, he was a kid, man. Like Mm -hmm. he looked like he was straight out. I mean, I'm sure he's brought straight out of college. So I'm sure at the age of like, what is he? He's probably in his fifties, um, early mid fifties. He's probably close to Steve's age. <laughs> he, uh, and, and looking back and he said, he's probably thinking, you know, I mean, this was the height of my filmmaking and it's over, you know, but at least, I mean, at least now the, I mean, fans are enjoying both of these movies. So I definitely, if I was him, I'd be proud. Yeah, I mean, I would too. I just, that's one thing from that documentary that I want to know more about. Like, I want to know more about, like, you know, his experiences making those types of movies and, and kind of how he views that whole time period now. I mean, the guy's an amazing filmmaker. I think his ideas were actually really too far ahead of, you know, where everything was at that point in time. He was a little too creative, really. Because if you look at Night of the Creeps and Monster Squad, like nobody was making anything like that at that time. Those type of movies, anyway. Right. <clears throat> but yeah, I mean, um, I think this movie though is a must see for anybody that's ever listened to the Dead Pit Show and enjoyed the Dead Pit Show. I guarantee you, you're going to love this movie. I mean, it's just. When we had the option, I want to thank uh, one of the listeners. I don't know if I want to name his name on here because I don't know if technically we didn't request it through a studio, which is normally how it goes. But he hooked us up with the link uh, to review it. And, uh, yeah, I mean, thanks to him, we actually got to uh, take a look at the movie before it came out. I think the DVD, if I'm not mistaken, and the Blu-ray both are coming out. Let me get the date here. I think it's on the 15th. It's the 27th, I think. 27th. Okay. I'll take your word for it. I can't find that on here. But um, that's what Amazon says, if you will. Amazon. And it's like already a pretty, it's like a bestseller on there on pre order. Yeah. So, yeah, I'm looking at it. It's like the number one in documentaries <laughs> and the number one in special interest right now. Yeah. So that's pretty amazing. But, yeah. uh, but I mean, I can't imagine anybody that listens to our show hasn't seen the monster squad, but if you haven't like, please go watch that movie immediately and then watch this documentary because it would make a good like bookend to this too. And the monster squad, man, like the movie, I have no qualms about showing that to anybody and anybody enjoying it. It's just a well-made movie. It's a fun movie. Um, so, yeah, I mean, that's uh, to me, that's a good horror movie you could start your kids out watching, you know, at probably seven, eight years old. There is some there is some wild stuff in there, but it's not too bad. 
We didn't even talk about the fact that uh, Duncan Rygar called her a bitch without her knowing about it. Well, that was. <laughs> I remember as a kid thinking that was pretty harsh even then, you know. Yes. So. Yes. But, yeah, I mean, that's the thing about 80s movies is they've got stuff like that in it, kids cussing in it. And, you know, they they would use the uh, the other F word quite a bit in uh, in the 80s as well. That wasn't a big thing back then. Times were different. Worthy. Well, you remember more than me, Steve, since you're like 57. So, yeah. All right. Movies were a nickel. Movies were a nickel, and he could get a soda pop for five cents. Yep. <laughs> so, um, yeah, I guess that is it, though. I hope uh, everybody enjoyed the show. It's kind of a kind of one of those puzzle shows where we're putting different parts in here and there, but. Uh, we definitely, I think all three of us wanted to talk about The Wolfman's Got Nards because that was, uh, that was a real fun experience seeing that movie. It was. I, yeah, it's like a blast from the past in, in terms of uh, taking me back to the 80s, the good old days. It's taking me mm-hmm. back there like a singing Blue Jays. <laughs> Shit. So. Hey, Steve, before we get off here, though, I got a bone to pick with you. You mean tell bone? me a bone, boys. You mean to tell me that you ain't going to buy the fucking Giallo box collection from Vinegar Syndrome? No, but I mean, I've I've seen all those movies and there. Some of those are not really. I, I've got the French sex murders and I really I'm OK with the DVD Steve, of that. Shut the fuck up. <laughs> listen, God. listen to what Steve does. Okay? This is what Steve does. He is full of fucking shit. <laughs> Because he does this with everything that comes out. We've started doing no. this show again since March. Every every damn thing that he says he's not going to get, he buys. So, Steve, uh-huh. you might as well just say, I'm going to get it. That way. Uh, well, I we never say never, but I'm not planning on it. Okay. It's just like you wasn't planning on getting that uh, Steel book from uh, Synapse, the uh, Living Dead at Manchester Morgue. Huh? You told me you won't get that either. Well, sometimes the seed grows and I have, I, and you can't control it, so I got it. Oh, okay. It's that demon seed. Yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, the thing is, vinegar syndrome. We were talking about this a little bit earlier too, and I think they've got you by the balls as well, Uncle Bill. <laughs> Like, they, they really do. The the way that they market their catalog is pretty ingenious. I mean, I you know, they've got like a, a yearly collection and a monthly collection and you can save money on, you know, and get exclusive uh, slip covers and shit. So Here here's the thing. They're so good at marketing that they got me buying fucking blurries. I don't even know what they are. <laughs> yeah, they're just random. They could be random like uh Furry Fuckers Volume 12 on 4K. <laughs> it could be the Night Train to Ass, Roll. I know. Yeah, I don't do right. Oh, gosh. Are you are you going to get the Beastmaster 4K? I never liked that movie, man. I tried to like that movie, and I know it's Coscarelli and everything, too, but I just never got into it. I would like to see them, and I want to probably watch the DVD again because it's been a while since I've seen it. I would like to see them do a... Uh, 4K of Kenny and Company, the Don Coscarelli movie. <laughs> Would you? Yeah, why not? Hell, they released that fucking uh, Dial Code Santa Claus in 4K. 
That's true, man. The shit that they're picking to release, like, is amazing. Uh, stuff that never deserves to be on 4K, I'm sure. <laughs> but Tammy comes. and the Tammy and the T Rex did not yeah. need to be on 4K. Yes, but it is. I'm not. Yes. Sure, I'm not sure it even needed to be on uh, Blu-ray, but <laughs> no, no, probably not. Uh, I tell you though, the two ones right now, Scorpion releasing and Vinegar Syndrome. Those are the ones. Those are the go-to's. What about uh, Severin? You ain't showing him no love. I, I don't even know. What the fuck is Severin releasing now, man? You keep bringing it up, but mm. I have no idea. Well, they've got Jaws 5 Cruel Jaws out. Well, you can only get it as, <laughs> you can only get it as Cruel Jaws now. Of course. But um, Severin, what else have they done, Steve? They're, Steve's going to order a bunch of stuff. He's going to get that Fulci uh, docudrama. No, I said I, I originally ordered it, but then everything went to shit, and I... They basically lost my email, so I never got it. Um, the last thing I got from Severin was the uh, Beast Must Die, and I was watching that earlier, and it, the transfer on that looked really good. I actually remember that movie. Doesn't it have, like, Peter Cushing in it? Yeah. Yeah. It's like a werewolf murder mystery. I yeah. The, uh, you got to yeah. find out who the werewolf is. The Arrow uh, Blu-ray. Yeah. I think. That's the one. Arrow's, uh, that's another, Arrow's another company, but they're a little bit more mainstream that I pretty much buy a lot of shit off of. Yeah. Um, I've got their Heels Have Eyes that I'll probably watch sometime this month. So hopefully it looks better than the image one that I had. I'm going to try to sell that one. It does. I watched it like a couple months ago. Well, you know when I watched it. When yeah. she posted that shit and you thought it was the Hills Have Eyes Yeah, remake. I thought you was watching the damn remake. I was like, what in the hell? He's lost his damn mind. <laughs> oh. But, uh, all right, guys. Well, I appreciate y'all uh, listening and you guys uh, joining me on here to talk about The Wolfman's Got Nards and just all the latest releases. There's going to be a lot more stuff to talk about, and I'm sure we'll have at least one more podcast-style show before Halloween, and we got a lot of fun shit along the way that we're gonna Steve's gonna finally review that fucking Blu-ray I seen him about a month and a half ago yes I will tomorrow I'll have a video up tomorrow it's some sort of softcore uh, Italian <laughs> porn Jess Franco is all you gotta say yeah, yeah. Jesus Franco alright guys well we appreciate you listening and uh, stay tuned for uh, no more creamy horror goodness on the original Horror Talk Radio website. Where's it at? Dead pit. Knock off! Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oop.